1: Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program, and we're going to be doing guided loving-kindness meditation together. This is a wonderful time for us to come together as a community in order to support, encourage and motivate each other in our meditation practice. I'm just here to guide you in the meditation. This is your meditation practice, but coming together as a group oftentimes can be very motivating. So. I provide this opportunity on Wednesdays for us to come together and do either breathing mindfulness meditation or loving kindness meditation, and then I open up to any questions that you guys might have related to the path to enlightenment, whether it's something that you're reading in my books, whether it's something you've seen, whether it's how to apply these teachings to your life, any questions and all questions that you have, you're welcome to ask those after meditation. So I'd like to welcome all of you to today's class and invite you to join us for meditation. If you'd like to take a seated position, a lying position, or standing position, these are the three positions that we tend to use for loving kindness meditation. So you would just sit with your legs crossed on the floor, or you might be in a chair with your feet flat on the floor and your legs crossed either way. There's not just one fixed way to do meditation in terms of a body position. So it's really what's comfortable for you. Your lower body should be nice and comfortable. Then your upper body, the Buddha put his right hand over his left with his thumbs together, and then he placed that into his lap. If that's comfortable, you can use that. Some people like to put their palms on their thighs or on their knees or their palms face up. Essentially, your lower body and your hands and arms should be completely relaxed and comfortable during the meditation, almost as if they don't exist. The upper body though, that should be erect. By keeping the upper body erect, this keeps the mind attentive and alert during the meditation. Because this is real work during the meditation, you would like to actively train the mind in this dedicated, active, purposeful training session. So by keeping your upper body erect, this keeps the mind attentive and alert during the meditation. Next, close the eyes, And just start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Here you're just looking to establish the breath. You can hang out here and just continue to work on establishing the breath or if you know these chants you're welcome to join along in the chants. This will help ease us into meditation a bit and then after the chants I'll come back with some guidance.
2: ārakhaṁ sammāsaṁ Sāvākāto āmākya saṅkhāṅ murha Ada to masa putasa Napo We SAMUTO not the SAMUNO one who is not the dama sati satatava manu sana bhoto bhagavati
1: okay she should be breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. We start our loving kindness meditation with a brief breathing mindfulness meditation session. So this guidance is to help you with breathing mindfulness meditation. You should be breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. The breath should be nice and gradual, a natural breath, breathing in, experiencing the full breath, and breathing out to experience the full exhale, a nice gradual natural breath. Breathing in.
3: In, out.
1: Once the breath is established, start fixating the mind on the breath. The sound of the breath or the sensation of air coming into the nose. The breath is the present moment. Fixate the mind on the breath, the present moment. Breathing in, in, out. With the mind fixated on the breath, anytime you observe that the mind is off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. No need to judge the thought, no need to label it or even try to figure out where it's coming from. Just wherever you observe that the mind is off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in, and out. I'm going to be quiet now let you do this work. And then I'll be back with loving kindness meditation. Breathing in,
3: in, out. Continuing to breathe in through the nose
1: and out through the nose. On your next out breath, repeat this affirmation in the mind.
3: May I be peaceful. May I be safe. of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. May all those in the heavenly realm be peaceful. May they be safe. they be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes human realm be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. Afflicted spirits roam, be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it
1: causes.
3: Peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. those in hell be peaceful. May they be safe. Be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. beings, wherever they reside, be peaceful. Safe, may they be well. they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. Turn back to breathing mindfulness meditation. Focusing on the breath. Breathing in. In out.
2: Hung some Uh... masa
1: All right. If you guys would like to ease your way out of meditation, I'll just remind you a little bit about loving kindness meditation. Now that we're done with our session is that as you do these loving-kindness meditations. you should customize it for individuals that you have in your life. When I'm guiding these meditations, it's for a group of people, a large group of people that are gathering for the live class and on the replay. So I'm doing very generalized statements, but in order for this to really be effective for you, you'll need to customize the meditation for your specific needs. So you might have, you know, may my mom, may my dad, may my brother, may my sister, may my pets, if you have pets, you know, may my coworkers, may my boss, may my neighbors, may that person who cut me off in traffic, right? If there's any kind of anger, hatred, or ill will that's in the mind, be sure those people are showing up in your meditation over a consistent period of time until you transform the mind away from this anger, hatred, ill will, and these lesser versions so that you can then get to a place where you're able to practice loving kindness with all these people in your daily life. And then, of course, if there's people that you have loving kindness for and you'd like to support that, encourage it, not allowing it to fade, you should also include those people into your meditation as well so that that way you can ensure that you maintain the loving kindness in your mind at all times for the people that you currently have loving kindness for. So what I'll do is I'll turn things over to you guys for any questions about loving kindness meditation, breathing mindfulness meditation, about the Eightfold Path, about the dissolving the ego, true love, the Brahma Viharas, the natural law of gamma, the three poisons, any of these things that we've been talking about in this group learning program. You're more than welcome to ask questions about those. And if you have other questions, things that you have perhaps come up in your life that you would like to understand how to apply these teachings to your life, you can ask those kind of questions. Or if you've seen some videos or teachings some other places and you'd like to ask questions about those, you're more than welcome to ask questions about those as well. So any questions and all questions, you're welcome to ask. The way that you ask a question is put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. And the moderators will see that in the comment section and be sure your question gets asked. And then if you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. All right, so I'll just turn things over to all of you guys for any questions that you have.
4: Um, yes, I see Rick has his hand raised. Let's go to him for his question, sir.
1: Yes, sir.
5: thank you, sir. There were some sound issues, uh, but when you were doing the meditation, it sounded like you were, um, addressing or, or offering or whatever, uh, keeping in mind pe- uh, beings from, from different levels of existence? Were you going from like the top of the heavenly realm and, and moving down? What were the categories that you would use?
1: Yeah, so I did affirmations from heaven all the way through to hell, so all five realms. So I started with I, did those four affirmations, then with the heaven, human, afflicted spirits, animal, hell, and then all beings. So there were seven groupings of beings. Then went back to breathing mindfulness meditation.
5: Thank you, sir. There's a message on Facebook. Let me give it there for a second. Um, tanka writes, if a strong, warm feeling arises during loving-kindness meditation, should it be cut off?
1: a strong warm feeling during loving kindness during loving kindness meditation you're actually trying to arise loving kindness and bring that into the mind that sounds like what is happening there that warm feeling rising up in the body no need to cut that off you would actually like to encourage that bring that into the mind allow it to permeate in the mind and even though i teach this with breathing mindfulness meditation first then loving kindness and then breathing mindfulness at the end That breathing mindfulness at the end is there for those that might have anger or hatred or ill will or frustration or irritation or annoyance or dislike that arises in the mind during the loving kindness meditation because. Oftentimes when we're doing loving kindness meditation and we're including people that we hate or that we have anger towards or something like that, it can arise those feelings in the mind. So that breathing mindfulness meditation at the end is to be able to cut that off and let it go so that you can end your meditation back to, you know, pretty much where you started with, but with some loving kindness arisen in the mind. If you're doing loving-kindness meditation and you're having the experience like you're having Tonka where you feel the loving-kindness coming into the mind, there's no need to do that breathing mindfulness meditation at the end of the session because you'd like to allow that to permeate in the mind and allow that to continue. So what you're experiencing is the loving-kindness coming into the mind and you'd like that to permeate and really do what the Buddha talks about is fill the mind with loving-kindness.
5: Thank you, sir. And we have a question on YouTube from Middleway. What is discontentedness means in deep detail or meaning?
1: Yeah. So what discontentedness right. is is it's explaining this word that the Buddha used during his lifetime, which got written down in the Pali Canon as dukkha. This is what the Buddha describes to eliminate from the mind in order to get to enlightenment in terms of the discontent feelings. Oftentimes, this is translated to be suffering. You hear a lot of people talk about, you know, the Buddhist teachings is to eliminate suffering. But if you look at how he explains dukkha, he explains it as a pleasant feeling, a painful feeling, and a feeling that is neither painful nor pleasant. So pleasant feelings are things like happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, euphoria, exhilaration. These are pleasant feelings. And then there's painful feelings like sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear. And then there's neither painful nor pleasant. And I put boredom and loneliness here, but some people say that's painful for them. So you can put that in a painful category. But neither painful nor pleasant is something like shyness. It's not pleasant. It's not painful. It's neither painful nor pleasant. Or if you're sitting on public transportation and somebody comes and sits really, really close to you and your bodies are touching, you probably wouldn't say it's painful. You probably wouldn't say it's pleasant. It's neither painful nor pleasant. It's kind of uncomfortable or dissatisfying. So these three feelings are what we call conditioned feelings. The pleasant feelings are conditioned on something. So you get a new pair of shoes. That's the condition that's rising the happiness in the mind. Or you get a new job. That's the condition. The new job is the condition that's arising this happiness or excitement in the mind. Or you get a new friend, a new boyfriend, a new girlfriend, something like this. That's the condition that's arising in the mind. That's bringing this feeling into the mind. Or you got a raise at work or you got a promotion at work. There's some condition that's arising this pleasant feeling. And then the same thing when there's painful feelings in the mind there's some condition that's causing it like sadness anger frustration irritation annoyance guilt shame fear all of these painful feelings and others like stress and anxiety these are being caused by some condition and then same thing with neither painful nor pleasant so the condition is the craving desire attachment, the mental longing and strong eagerness. I really want these shoes really badly. Oh, I just want them so badly. I have this mental longing and strong eagerness for the shoes. And then I get them. Ah, happiness, excitement, thrill, euphoria, right? There's that condition. But then Somebody steals the shoes or I misplace them or I leave them somewhere. Now I'm sad because my happiness was based on the condition of these new shoes. Now when they're gone, there's these painful feelings. So discontent, discontented or discontentedness is explaining where the mind is shaken up either with pleasant feelings, painful feelings, or neither painful nor pleasant. The mind is unsteady, it's uncalm, it's shaken up. And this is what the unenlightened mind is going to experience. It's going to go up with these pleasant feelings because of craving, desire, attachment. When it gets the objects of its affection, it's going to have these pleasant feelings. But then when it doesn't get the objects of its affection, it's going to drop down into the painful feelings. And then those neither painful nor pleasant feelings can occur too. So the unenlightened mind is going up and down and up and down with periods of maybe peacefulness in the middle here and there or other, you know, feelings. But by and large, it's just a matter of time before the unenlightened mind becomes discontent, discontented, or discontentedness. And it's so important that we use these words rather than suffering because. When you're happy, when you're excited, when you're thrilled, you wouldn't say you were suffering. Or if that person came and sat next to you on public transportation and the mind was a little bit uncomfortable, you wouldn't say you were suffering in that situation. So if we use the word suffering, we're only describing those painful feelings. Because when I used to experience anger and sadness and frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, I would say I was suffering during that period of time. and that's only 33% of what the Buddha was explaining. So there's this other 66.6% of feelings that the Buddha is explaining as part of his teachings that someone is missing if they use the word suffering. And therefore, if we miss 66% of what the Buddha is teaching, then how would someone ever get to enlightenment? And it's so important to understand those pleasant feelings being part of a discontent mind. Remember, conditioned pleasant feelings. If you've ever gotten really happy or really excited and like dropped your phone and broke it, or, you know, slipped and twisted your ankle or you know, fell down because you were so excited, this is because the mind is shaken up. It's discontent. And in order to get a control and discipline of the mind, The mind has to become aware of these conditioned pleasant feelings arising this discontentedness arising as pleasant feelings and it needs to cut it off and let it go so that the mind no longer bases its inner feelings on some condition and by unconditioning the mind where it's no longer basing its inner feelings on some condition now because the mind's unconditioned it's always peaceful It's always calm, it's always serene, it's always content, and it's always joyful because you've eliminated that central desire where the mind is longing and yearning through the six sense bases of the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, bodily contact in the mind. It's no longer longing and yearning through these six sense bases for pleasure. Instead, we enjoy the things that we're involved in And we have joy while we're experiencing those, but we also have joy when we're not experiencing those things. Rather than just having happiness when you're experiencing something, the enlightened mind can be joyful no matter what all the time. So someone can enjoy, say, a piece of chocolate cake, or they can enjoy going to purchase a pair of shoes, or they can enjoy the fact that they've gotten a new salary, but they don't cling to it and hold on to this condition of a new shoes or a piece of cake or a new job or what have you, they don't cling to it because an enlightened being knows that it's impermanent and it's only a matter of time before that thing changes. So the new job isn't causing the joy or creating the joy in the enlightened mind. Instead, the enlightened mind is going to be joyful regardless. If you're employed, if you're unemployed, if you're making one salary or another salary, You wake up all day long and go to sleep, peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. If it's sunny outside, the enlightened mind's joyful. If it's raining outside, the enlightened mind's still joyful because it's not basing its inner feelings on some impermanent condition. So we call this shaking up of the mind, pleasant feelings, painful feelings, neither painful nor pleasant either discontent feelings or the mind is discontented or discontentedness. This is the shaking up and uncalm mind where it's not stable, steady, peaceful, and joyful permanently. That's what an enlightened mind is going to experience.
4: Um, yes, sir. There are a few more uh, questions here on YouTube. Epico asks, this is meta meditation,
1: Yes, metta is the Pali word for loving kindness, but I don't use the Pali words any longer because the whole world doesn't understand the Pali language. And to be able to learn the Pali language and then be able to learn the Buddhist teachings, get help with that, and then be able to actually practice and get the results, it's much more challenging for somebody to learn a language like Pali and actually get help with it. So it's much better to teach in English and that we talk about these teachings in English because then you really open up your ability to learn readily because it's in a native language or even a second language that you understand and you also open up your ability to communicate with lots of different practitioners so that everybody is speaking a common language where not everyone understands metta meditation or metta bhavana is the Pali term for it. And not everyone understands that so by using the english words then we expand our community of being able to talk about these teachings practice them and get the results of them
4: yes thank you sir you're welcome um, they also ask how many jhanas can one reach master
1: there's four jhanas that the buddha taught these are preliminary phases that the mind goes through before it gets to the first stage of enlightenment And some people think of the jhanas as only something that you attain during meditation, but it's actually not true. The way that the Buddha taught this and the way you can observe if you experience these jhanas is these are mental qualities that start to arise in the mind as part of moving into the jhanas. The Buddha explains certain mental qualities that arise, and he explains certain mental qualities that diminish as part of getting into the first, second, third, and fourth stage of the jhanas or these phases. And what a jhana is, this is one of the few Pali words that I still use because it doesn't have a one word translation. What it essentially translates to is meditative absorption. So essentially, if you're putting together all the eight steps of the Eightfold Path, which includes meditation, then this is where the mind starts moving into the jhanas. And it's kind of like the light bulb starting to flicker and starting to give you some glimpses of what enlightenment is like and it helps you to see that you're putting together the practice really well if somebody was just meditating they actually wouldn't be able to get to the jhanas you need to actually be putting together right view right intention right speech right action right livelihood right effort right mindfulness and right concentration and when you're putting these eight steps into practice really well over a consistent long-term basis, the mind ultimately starts moving into the first, second, third, and fourth jhana. And the challenge here is that the experience of the jhanas is so amazing for most people because what you experience in the unenlightened state versus being in the unenlightened state and experiencing the jhanas, it's like night and day. It's very impactful. And some people think that once they are experiencing the jhanas, that the mind is actually enlightened because it's so impactful. But the mind actually isn't enlightened. The mind is still discontent when it's in the jhanas. And if somebody thinks they're enlightened and they don't actually continue to learn and practice, from the jhanas, you can actually regress out of those. This is a common thing that I talk with students about when a student might contact me and they're like, hey, I experienced this wonderful thing 10 years ago. Here's what it was like, but I can't ever get back to that again. And what it is, is they started to experience the first jhana and then the mind regressed out of that where once you get into the first stage of enlightenment, the mind won't regress out of that. So it's important to understand what these jhanas are, which I describe in the teachings that I share, and the Buddha described them very clearly as well. And once the mind's moving into these jhanas, it's important to stay humble, to stay grounded, to maintain your practice, just continue to do what you have been doing, But now start focusing on the 10 fetters and really work on eliminating those first three fetters so that the mind can move past the jhanas and get into the first stage of enlightenment. Because from there, the mind won't regress. But if somebody thinks they're enlightened in the jhanas, then there's a tendency to kind of slack off and then the mind's going to regress. And that's unfortunate when that happens. So this is the jhanas. There's four of them. And if you'd like more information, you're welcome to reach out and I can provide you links where I've taught classes about the jhanas and other materials that I've shared around the jhanas.
4: Thank you, sir. Uh, Middleway asks, during my meditation, I saw my thoughts more than I saw my breath. Does this mean I need more practice? I would like to reach the jhana stages.
1: Yeah, it's important to meditate and continue your consistent meditation two or three times a day for 30 minutes or more. That's the type of meditation practice you would like to build up to. But as I just mentioned, you're going to need other things besides just meditation to get into the jhanas. If you're not fully understanding right view or right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness and right concentration, then you're not going to be able to get to the jhanas. And it's important that you study the words of the Buddha on these because there's lots of different websites, lots of different sources that share the Eightfold Path. But it's not until you study with the words of the Buddha that you can actually see what he really taught so that then you can learn it, you can reflect on it, and then you can practice it to be able to experience the results. So if you haven't yet gotten volume one of the book series that I wrote, It's important to download that or get a printed copy or go print it yourself because in there I dedicate chapters four and five to really helping you to build up your understanding of all those teachings that you're going to need in order to get to the jhanas. And then there's other teachings as well in that book that's going to help you get to the jhanas. But chapter four and five is the real heart. And you're always welcome to reach out for support through these classes, through posting in our Facebook group through sending a private message or scheduling personal guidance so that you can move into those jhanas. And another thing I'll share as well is you may have a craving for the jhanas. You may be longing and yearning and wanting them really badly. As long as that's there, you won't actually be able to experience the jhanas. You have to eliminate the longing and yearning and craving to experience the jhanas or any of the stages of enlightenment and just approach it as a goal, an objective or an interest and just gradually learn, gradually train the mind and then observe this gradual practice coming together, resulting in gradual progress. So that's something that you should pay attention to as well that you would like to study slowly and consistently and then build up your practice that you're practicing all eight steps without craving, desire, attachment.
4: Yes, thank you sir. Um, They also ask how or why is staying focused on the breath focusing on the present moment?
1: Because when you breathe the breath is the present moment so that's right now, right? It's not five seconds ago it's not 10 seconds from now it's right now the breath is right now so what it's doing is it's bringing the mind into an anchor point to right now the buddha described this when he talked about the six animals being tied to a post the post is your meditation practice the post is your breath and he talks about these six animals being tied to the post and pulling in opposite directions the bird wants to go to the sky the alligator wants to go to the river the monkey wants to go to the jungle the you know the snake wants to go over here the jackal wants to go over here these six animals represent the six sense bases the eyes ears nose tongue bodily contact in the mind because that's the central desire that's where the mind has having craving desire attachment longing and yearning through these sense bases Wanting pleasant feelings. So, your breath is that post because when the animals pull and pull and pull with that rope tied to the post, they get to do that rope and they get yanked back and they get yanked back and they get yanked back. And eventually, those animals realize. That they can't go any further and they're just going to sit down by that post and be content and be peaceful. Your mind is the same way. If you fixate it on the breath and it pulls to one direction and you yank it back and then it pulls to another direction and you yank it back and you do this continuously for multiple sessions over many months and years, eventually the mind gradually gets used to fixating on this breath. Even when the mind's enlightened though, you're going to have an occasional thought that's normal you're not trying to eliminate the thoughts what you're trying to do is get control over the mind so that you have awareness or mindfulness that whenever the mind's off the breath you're aware of it that's mindfulness and then you're able to apply right effort to cut that off let it go and easily bring it back to the mind this is where you're gaining discipline and control over the mind If you're not doing this, then the mind's doing whatever it wants to do. It's a wild animal pulling and tugging. And it's just going to tug around and tug around and pull around. And the Buddha talks about this too. He talks about these six animals if they were tied to a rope and then there was just a knot in the middle. There was no post and there's just all these animals tied in a knot. And they would be pulling and pulling and pulling and eventually whichever animal is strongest that's the one that's going to win out and kind of pull all the other animals in that direction. So, all these six sense bases, if you don't have a post or pillar, which is your breath, eventually one of the six sense bases is going to win out and it's going to pull you in that direction. But if you have this post or this pillar, or this breath, which is the present moment, that's what you're bringing your mind back to is the breath. You continue to bring it back and bring it back and bring it back. And then in daily life, When you're walking down the street and your eyes want to pull over here you cut that off and let it go and you can pull it back or the ears hear an agreeable or disagreeable sound you can cut that off and pull it back or you smell something or you taste something or there's some bodily contact or there's something that comes up in the mind you can observe that with mindfulness just like in meditation and then you can apply right effort to cut it off and let it go and come back to the middle eventually you get to the point where you've done this so much in meditation and in daily life that the mind never moves out of the middle. It just always stays in the middle. And I describe this like a piece of steel. If you were rubbing it on a piece of wood over a long term period of time, eventually it'll get deeper and deeper into that wood and it won't pop out. But when you first start and you're starting to kind of create this groove in the wood, it's easy for it to pop out because you haven't really done enough work to create this groove for the mind to be in the middle or this piece of steel to be in this groove of the wood. But eventually you get it so deep into the wood that it won't pop out, that it's so deep in the wood that it won't pop out. But as you're first going and you're building your mindfulness, if it does pop out, you're aware of it because you have mindfulness or awareness of mind. And then you have such discipline that when you're aware of it, you can pull it back and get your groove going again and get the mind in the middle. But by the time the mind gets to enlightenment, you've done this so much where you've observed the mind and you're fixating it on the breath and meditation, you're cutting off, letting go, cutting off, letting go, cutting off, letting go. And then in daily life, whenever some discontentedness is arising, you observe it as a bodily sensation And then you cut it off and let it go, cut it off and let it go, cut it off and let it go. Eventually, you don't have to do this anymore because all the conditions that are causing the mind to go out of the middle are eliminated. The mind will just always stay in the middle, peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. But while you're working up to that and there's still pollution in the mind, you're going to have to build up all these mental qualities so that when the mind is out of the middle, you can observe it and then cut it off, and bring it back to the middle so that it will reside there for longer and longer periods of time until it's permanently residing in the middle.
4: Thank you, sir. Uh, They also ask, could you please explain more detail on how to apply the Noble Eightfold Path to move into the jhanas?
1: So each one of these steps, they are very detailed. I actually teach a three-part series where I spend two hours in each class, so six hours total, explaining each individual step in detail. That's been recorded. You can actually go see that. There's also some other classes where I explain the whole eightfold path in just two hours. So depending on how thorough you would like to be, you're going to need to watch that because each one of these Is part of your life practice I wouldn't be able to describe it to you in three minutes or five minutes other than just to name what they are but each one of these steps you would need to know like the back of your hand because the Eightfold Path is the path to enlightenment it's the path and the jhanas are a result of having practiced all the steps on the Eightfold Path building up your practice more and more that you're doing that over a consistent long-term period of time. So if you go to our YouTube channel, or if you have the book, you can look at the end or at the beginning, there's actually links where I've put. If you're having challenges finding those links, you can always send me a private message, and I will send you the links privately so that you can go ahead and start looking at those and learning in the online classes. I'll be teaching that again at the beginning of January. We're going to restart the group learning program. I'll be teaching it live again. But there's four months between now and then that you could easily be learning from the recordings, either in YouTube or on the podcast or what have you. The YouTube videos have visual aids. The podcast is just audio. So if you are able to access either of those, it will help you to be able to learn the Eightfold Path, and then you can ask questions in the classes, and the Facebook group, private message, or personal guidance to ensure you understand it because there's understanding it then there's reflecting on it to be able to see the truth. Then there's practicing it so that as you're learning the teachings and you have certain things happening in your life, you understand how to apply the Eightfold Path to the situations that you're encountering. This is so crucial. Anybody who's interested in getting to enlightenment through the Buddhist teachings, they would need to understand the Eightfold path. That's the core central teaching and everything else plugs into it. So if you're interested in experiencing the jhanas or getting to enlightenment, you'll need to study that. And you can also see the written part because the classes that I teach, I teach to a certain level of detail. But then in the book, I explain it thoroughly in writing, even more so than I'm able to explain in the classes. So those two things combined will really help you.
4: Thank you, sir. And then uh, Pepico asks, when Gautama Buddha said, all is illusion, what did he mean? Is being alive an illusion?
1: The Buddha never said all is an illusion. This is a misunderstanding of the Buddhist teachings. He never said that everything was an illusion and there's people today that might share that with you and if we think or if you think that life is an illusion i would ask you a question you know when you go outside and you're on a busy street do you look both ways before you cross the street and the answer is probably yes you do look both ways before you cross the street why is that because the world is not an illusion there's a real truck and there's a real car coming down the street and you would like to look first before you cross because you crossing and getting hit by a truck is not an illusion. That's a real tangible thing. So the Buddha never said that the world is an illusion or all is an illusion. Anybody who shares this, you can ask them, you know, do you look both directions before crossing the street? And they'll say, yes, I do. Well, there you go. That's the truth. Sometimes we say things that sound cute or sound novel or sound fancy, but look at someone's actions. When you look at the actions, that's how you can see the truth. So the world's not an illusion, it's a real tangible thing. This is a a hand, this is a computer, Uh, this is hair, this is skin. These are tangible things that we can touch. And this is just a misunderstanding that some people are, are having. So it's important to let that go and realize that that's part of what the Buddha called delusion or ignorance or the unknowing of true reality or confusion or misunderstanding. He talks about this as part of his teachings where he says, if the mind has delusion or misunderstanding or confusion or ignorance or unknowing of true reality that it's essentially going to continue to reside discontent and it's going to continue to be in this cycle of rebirth so what this whole path to enlightenment is all about is for you to be able to learn for you to be able to reflect and independently verify the teachings to start discovering the truth and then when you practice and you and you start practicing the teachings, that's where you really discover the truth as the condition of the mind is improving. So that's how you get to wisdom. You're not believing the teachings of the Buddha. Instead, you're learning, reflecting, trying to independently verify them. Where you can't verify them, you ask a teacher to help you be able to see the truth for yourself. And then you practice and get more help because all the buddhist teachings you should be able to independently verify them that's how you get to truth that's how you get to wisdom there is no belief in his teachings whatsoever and if you're ever having trouble to be able to independently verify his teachings that's where you reach out to a teacher and say teacher i'm having trouble observing this for myself or i'm having trouble verifying this can you point me in the direction to help me to verify this and then anybody who's teaching should have already verified anything that they're teaching. So they should be able to point you in the right direction to verify independently the same things that they discovered as well. Because there's nothing that's based on belief. In order for you to get to enlightenment, you need to cultivate wisdom. These teachings should be independently verifiable for you. And they should be explained in that way. So the resources and the classes and all the things that I share... I help you understand this process of learning, reflecting, and practicing. And then I provide opportunity for you to receive guidance to get help in situations where you can't see how to independently verify what's being shared. Thank you, sir. You're
4: welcome. Um, has a follow-up question. Uh, could all is illusion be related to emptiness is form? Form is emptiness,
1: sir? Yeah, this isn't the Buddhist teachings either. You know, anything that you're seeing that people are saying are the Buddhist teachings, whether it's in a book or in a class or anything like this, there should be a reference back to the original source text. If you look at the teachings that I share about the words of the Buddha, all the books that I have, I have 13 books that I wrote and wherever i share the words of the buddha i put a reference back to the original source text so that you can see and reference if you like so that you don't even believe this piece of paper or all these pieces of paper these books that i've assembled don't even believe that these are the real teachings either so you can look at the reference and you can go back and see the source text and then when you see the source text you don't believe that either you learn it and see what the buddha is teaching and then you reflect on it and then you practice it and see the truth for yourself the translations that i provide are going to be different than what you see in some other places but the reference is going to be the same it's going to go back to the original source text but the translations that i suggest you use are the ones that i provide in this 13 book series and then that will help you to see that things that you're maybe seeing in little memes on Facebook, or somebody might have told you here or there, or you might see in a book where somebody might attribute something to the Buddha, you can see the truth for yourself of whether the Buddha actually said this or not. And then even when you confirm that the Buddha said it through texts like what I share and the Pali Canon, even there, you still don't believe it because belief isn't going to get you to enlightenment. You need to cultivate wisdom. So the Buddha never shared that particular quote that you are sharing either. This is a misunderstanding of his teachings.
4: Yes, thank you, sir. You're welcome. Um, there was an experience a couple of days ago while doing meditation where the eyes were closed, but it was observed that the room that I was in sort of could almost be seen in the mind and during meditation, this was observed and then cut off and let go and refocused on the breath. But I guess the question that comes to mind is why, why would this be happening? Is this maybe just the mind becoming more aware or is there another reason why this would happen, sir?
1: Yeah, this can happen as the mind awakens in the third eyes open or has opened or is opening. You can start having a wider and wider awareness. This is where people oftentimes not only have experiences like what you're describing, but you can also observe past lives sometimes. You can also, a lot of times, understand the future or have omniscience where you understand the future, not only when you're meditating, but also just in your normal day, you know, as you're progressing, as you're walking down the street as you're driving, something can come into your mind and it's just really vivid and it can be a future experience that you or someone else is gonna have or it could be uh, something from the past. So this is just what the mind experiences as it awakens and you did exactly what I would recommend which is cut it off, let it go, and come back to the breath. And This gains control over the mind.
4: Thank you, sir. Uh, It does not appear we have any more questions at this time, sir.
1: All right. Well, I'll just thank all of you guys for joining for today's class and invite you to attend our future classes. This Saturday, we're going to have the Polycanon and English study group, and we're in volume 11 in that class, so you're welcome to join that if you like. On Saturday, we're going to be in the chapter 17 of volume 1. Chapter 17 is titled, Eliminating Fears. Are You Really Scared? I'm going to teach you how to eliminate fears in the mind anything that the mind fears even your own death i'll teach you how to eliminate that and then next wednesday we'll be doing this meditation session again but we'll be doing breathing mindfulness meditation this is where we can come together to support encourage and motivate each other in our meditation practice so i'd like to thank you all for your dedication your diligence your commitment to learning and practicing as you need any help, just feel free to reach out and ask for support. I'm here to help you. Have a very lovely and wonderful rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Sawadee
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com.